We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. What kind of mythical powers does a Sun Devil have? We've got to consider that. It's embarrassing, but we are who we are. We're not a very good team, but we're three and one somehow. And we got all the voters fooled, thinking we're pretty good. Jaworski Lane at 275 pounds showed a heck of a lot of athletic ability. Welcome to a week eight edition of the Rotowire College Football Podcast, the Steven Garcia of College Football Podcast. <laughs> I am Nick Whalen, joined as always by the Jasper Brinkley to my Casper Brinkley, John McKechnie. What's going on, man? It's uh, excited to be doing the the vi- dipping our toes into the video. Hey, I dressed up as you can see with a great, but I got my uh, Yosef shirt on for uh, for App State tonight because they're playing. Uh, uh, Arkansas State, so okay. you know had had to show up for the guys. Yeah. yeah, you knew it was a big big Sun Belt fun belt fun belt uh, showdown. So uh, you know had to represent in kind. There is far from a dress code on the Road to Wire College Football Podcast. Um, I, I would be offended if you were wearing anything but that. Uh, I feel overdressed, uh, frankly, in my flannel here. It's a big you week for fit, us. John. You fit in in Boone uh, with, with the flannel though. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I was thinking like I, I wanted to throw something on, you know, Badger colors, but you know, didn't want to lean too far into it with an actual Badger shirt, so I, I kind of settled in the middle. That brings us into the big news of the week, and this is something that we've been waiting for for eight weeks now. Welcome back to the Big Ten, and to a lesser degree the Mountain West, but mainly the Big <laughs> Ten. Um, we like I said, this has kind of been you know for for someone like like me in Big Ten country, you're in Big Ten country, you know, you're more of an SEC guy at heart, more of an App State guy at heart. Um, it, it's been tough to, it's been nice on one hand, I guess, to watch all of these SEC and big 12 and ACC games the last few weeks, but, uh, kind of having to wait our turn. And, and finally we, we get it. And it comes a day early for me. You know, we get Illinois, Wisconsin on a Friday night, uh, inexplicably, uh, that line is, is Wisconsin 19 and a half down, I think four points from last week when we first mm-hmm. talked about it. Um, but Nebraska, Ohio state is on the board this week. We got Michigan, Minnesota, which is, I think the unquestioned headliner, 
in the Big Ten, uh, due in large part to to some lofty expectations for Minnesota. So, uh, you know, when we when we preview the week later in the pod, we'll get into all those. But uh, I will leave you to kind of fill everyone in on, on what to expect or guys to watch in the Mountain West, since that's a little more your forte. Yes. So, I mean, again, Big Ten coming back, very excited. Uh, I'm going to it's going to be a challenge for me Friday night trying to figure out like the when to start uh, the, the Badger game because like the Borat, the new Borat movie is coming out, too. So like I got to figure out how I'm going to approach that one. But uh, I will definitely be watching the Badgers. But when it comes to Mountain West, um, you know, you're up late Saturday night. You don't know who any of these guys are. I can help you. Uh, the big quarterbacks to know, uh, Chavin Cordero, um, Hawaii, they lost their coach, Nick Rolovich. He's at Wazoo now, so they replaced Air Raid with Air Raid. Uh, Hawaii didn't quite do that. They had one of the stranger hires. I, I guess no one really talked about it again because it's it's Hawaii. They, they might not be pulling the most headlines, but uh, Todd Graham, former Arizona State coach from a few years back, uh, he's going to be taking over at Hawaii, um, but I still think that this is an offense that's going to hum, so Chavin Cordero um, should keep the the, the swag meter going as far as that Hawaii quarterback tradition is concerned. Cole McDonald, of course, served it well over these last couple of years. Uh, Ronnie Rivers and Xavier Valade, uh, Xavier Valade, um, Valade, Wyoming's running back, extremely talented. Um, it's a run-heavy offense, so he's going to be a star for them. Ronnie Rivers, a do-it-all back for Fresno State, someone that can, you know, on a regular season, you know, 12-game season, he could challenge for 50, 60 catches um, in a season. He's just that kind of pass catcher out of the backfield, so he's going to be fun to watch, really valuable in PPR formats. Uh, George Halani, Boise State always turning out good running backs. He He's kind of like the latest among them, but they got plenty of good other backs as well. So we'll see if they rotate the same way that they did a year ago. And then at receiver, Rico Bussey, f- former North Texas guy, if you, if you remember him from DFS from the last couple of seasons, he's been, uh, you know, he should be that new number one for Hawaii. That should bode well for his fantasy uh output Dante Wright a a budding star at Colorado State we'll have to see what Colorado State does with their offense because they moved away from Mike Bobo of course and they got Steve Adazio in there Steve Adazio's teams at BC obviously not famous for putting up a ton of uh, production through the air but uh, I still think that Dante Wright and the the receivers they have there um, should really kind of tilt their philosophy towards towards the air and then Khalil Shakir uh, kind of like the latest new number one for for Boise State state john hightower is gone so it looks like he's going to be that that new um stud receiver who's moving the chains for, for boise state so those are the big mountain west guys from a fantasy perspective you know when you're building your your late night uh mm-hmm. fun saturday lineups i'm so glad that those are back so we have some good news and some bad news to run through but before we get to our week seven reactions um florida missouri possibly in jeopardy looking ahead to next weekend uh, of course we saw florida lsu canceled uh, last weekend and you know you're looking ahead now to the Halloween weekend and, and Florida kind of continues to deal with these positive tests um, some concern you know I think tracing all the way back to to the eight weeks ago uh, where that's coming from so we'll, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that situation but hopefully that game will be able to be played next week uh, Journey Brown may be out for the year at Penn State uh, a team that's already down Micah Parsons you know one of the best players overall in the country now down another big piece what's the situation with journey brown has there really been any clarity on what this injury is i don't think it at least since it got uh released on, on tuesday night or, or announced uh what the exact thing that he's dealing with is it's it's a medical condition they said um has the potential to, to keep him out for the season i'm holding out some hope and, and you know he posted some you know optimistic stuff on his social media recently but um, still not a ton of clarity as to, um, you know, what's exactly going on with him. I'm sure if you, if you dive deep into the Penn state boards, I'm sure you got some, some wild theories out there as to, as to what's up, but, um, bottom line, you know, we, we could be missing one of the most explosive running backs in college football, someone who is really going to take off this year. And I, I think maybe challenged to be in that top three tier among running backs, um, just a really explosive talent. So it stinks that we're, we're, Probably not going to be able to see him. Hopefully he comes back at some point this year and, and can help Penn State out a little bit. Um, but, yeah, a, as it stands, it looks like we're, we're not going to have him or Parsons for Penn State. So that's too bad. Um, although don't feel too bad for Penn State. Noah Kane was one of the top 
uh, running back recruits in last year's cycle. So he'll he'll be ready to fill in right away. And, you know, for fantasy purposes, you're not going to have to worry about uh, guys losing carries like it should be the Noah Kane show uh, pretty quickly there for, for Penn State. And I, I think that he's going to answer the bell pretty well. I think you're 100 percent right about Noah Kane, but you have to consider the drop off in name. I mean, going from Journey Huge. Brown, one of the better first names in the entire country to Noah, you know, fine name, nothing against a Noah. Uh, it's been raining a lot, you know, maybe a good time to be a Noah, but Journey Brown, I mean, you're really not going to match that. Uh, and speaking of great names, the, the last item of bad news, I guess we have Puka Williams opting out, kind of going Vontae Davis midseason, you know, just, just piecing out from Kansas. Sounds like he's going to head back home to Louisiana uh, and start preparing for the draft. So you can't blame them. <laughs> they're 0-4. Things aren't looking like they're going to get a whole lot better for Kansas. Probably not a ton of upside to Puka Williams continuing to get beat up week after week. Um, where, where does his draft stock for you stand right now? Uh, obviously kind of tough to project with, with a half season and everything that's going on, but, uh, I mean, where, where is he right now? I mean, it, it's gonna, he'll end up having one of like the stranger college careers. It feels like, you know, Puka, we hardly knew ye because, you know, he had the, he had carries last year and had 1100 yards his freshman year, but it, it always felt like that, you know, we're, we're ready for him to build on what he did as a freshman in 2018. And it never quite happened that way. Um, so it, it's one of those great unknowns, I, I guess. I mean, not, not quite to the level that we were talking about last week, but you know, you, you wish you got to see the, the full three, three to four seasons of Puka. Um, as far as his draft stock goes, I mean, he's listed at 170. That's pretty tough as far as like NFL running backs go. Uh, you know, we don't size shame on this podcast, but uh, at the same time, uh, tough to really move the pile at, at that weight uh, at the next level, let alone in college. So um, I don't know if he's going to have to move to the slot receiver position or just be like a third down only type of guy. But um, his days of being like a 200 carry type of player, I assume, are, are going to be done. So his body's probably thankful for that. But as far as his NFL prospects are concerned, um, I, I would imagine imagine a day three type of billing for him unless he's uh, mislisted at 170. So in the good news category, stats are back. The ACK back for college football on rotowire.com. We, we touched on this last week. We've been going through, I would say a a crisis, not an unmitigated crisis, but a crisis nonetheless. Um, And and one of our stat providers, um, you know, we, you and I have very little information on this, but basically there was a technological um, breakdown, I guess, to, to some degree that's been affecting our site for the last couple of weeks. Uh, but all stats are now back for college football heading into the weekend. Yes. So it looks like, you know, you know, game logs are back. Targets even are back. So w- once again, you know, we're back up and running as far as our, our data is concerned. And we, we have all those stuff from uh, last week and the week prior. Those were the two weeks that were missing because of that stats outage. So uh, things are good as far as the, the the uh, player research is concerned. I think that the te- some of the team stats uh, might still be getting caught up, but either way, you know, this was something that was affecting not just us, but DraftKings and, and FanDuel and, and, you know, some other places. Um, I, I think even like Fantrax was, was having some issues with, with their stats. So, I mean, like this wasn't just us, but it was still just like an overall, like we got to get this figured out. I'm so glad that it's figured out. It allows mm-hmm you the you the listener the user to to you know get your research done as far as the slates go for this week and setting your lineups and it allows me to to uh, you know do the best research uh, that I can so it's a huge relief because sitting there with you know hundreds of players worth of of games being completely you know just red barred out on on their game logs it's like oh my god like how how can we work with this but now they're back. So everything is back to normal here. And we're back to having, you know, some of the best college football, you know, stats and, and resources that we can possibly have. Good news all around. John, let's get to week seven. Uh, walk me through your day on Saturday leading up to Alabama, Georgia. I uh, wake up uh, with a glint of hope in my eye. Very excited. Um, I st- you know, Deep down, I thought somehow there was gonna, they were Georgia was gonna find a way to win. I think I, I laid out a pretty realistic slash pessimistic case for for Georgia during the pod last week, and mm-hmm. you know their offensive shortcomings with with Stetson Bennett probably was gonna be the limiting factor that prevents them from getting the win. But then the first play happens 
on Saturday night. I, I sit down over at, at my buddy Jake's place up here. Uh, he's a he's a fellow Georgia grad as well. So you know it, we got to hunker down, uh, you dogs out there. So uh, dogs up. Yeah, we even had uh, we had Terrapin beers, which is uh, a beer that is brewed in Athens. Great brewery there. Um, so we like it felt like we, we had all the Athens and Georgia power going in our direction. And then that first play happens. Mac Jones gets hit as he throws. It's an interception. I thought it, I thought they easily could have not ruled that an interception, actually. So like it's like, oh, my God, like uh, not only is the play going in our favor, but like the refs have something going like for us, too. Yeah. Um Obviously, Georgia just gives it right back, and, and Stetson Bennett's getting uh, passes batted down, not just, like, uh, off the fingertips, but, like, dude's whole forearms, <laughs> like, just knocking his passes down. So it's like, okay, we, we might be in a bit of trouble here. Yeah. And Georgia held up extremely well in the first half, and, and I think that just at the end of the day, you got to go in knowing that Jalen Waddle's going to get you once or twice, uh, and John Mechie probably might do it too, and Devontae Smith, of course. So... How are you going to put 30 plus points on the board against Alabama? Because it's basically if if Georgia can't hold them under 30, I don't know if any other defense can. So Georgia needed to score more and they just simply couldn't. And at the end of the day, you know, the levees started to break uh, midway through the third quarter. And it, it just became a very soul cleaving exercise for the next uh hour and a half or whatever it was. And at which point uh, the Terrapins were consumed at a, at a more rapid mm-hmm. pace. As they should have been. Yeah, I mean, this is a game that Georgia led midway through the third quarter. I mean, it really was, like you said, once the levees broke, they broke and the water came flowing in, or the Terrapin Ales came flowing in Mm. uh, about as quickly as they could. Um, And I would say a little bit of a misleading final score. Uh, Alabama was certainly dominant, you know, for the final 20 minutes or so of that game. But uh, I don't know if I'd go as far as to say Georgia dominated the first half, but they they certainly were in control. Um, And once Stutson Bennett started turning the ball over, I mean, it was obviously over from that point, but um, I think you have to be at least semi-encouraged that, that Georgia put up the fight they did with the quarterback play that they got in this game. I mean, 18 of 40 did did get up close to 217 yards, but under 50% completion, three picks. You're, you're just not going to beat Alabama uh, with those numbers. No, you're, you're definitely not. Um, Alabama had a really good game plan to force the passes to, towards the middle again. So, like, you know, Bennett has his own troubles uh, getting getting the ball over it, it, the offensive and de- defensive line in the first place. But then, I mean, when you're talking about just removing outside receivers like George Pickens and Kiaris Jackson to like huge performers and just kind of funneling it to Jermaine Burton, who's the the less of all evils. If you're if you're you know talking about this from a Bama perspective you'll let Jermaine Burton try to beat you all day as opposed to George Pickens or Kiaris Jackson. So Burton, you know, had some freshman moments, had a touchdown, but, you know, in in the end, Bama was happy to let him get all the targets as opposed to those other guys. And it's a plan that worked out well, and Georgia didn't have the quarterback play to force the issue elsewhere. Clemson absolutely rolls over uh, (laughs) another opponent this past week. Man, this is this is one uh, where you really can't make any excuses or or try to um, you know frame it any other way. This was a, a thorough beatdown from start to finish by Clemson. Uh, you know, it was one of those ones where um, you know I'm I'm on the XM show dur- during the early window of games, and the producers like during during each commercial break are just like, dude, Trevor Lawrence just threw another touchdown. Like, oh my god, or you know, just like. Every single dude, Trevor has like 300 yards in the first quarter is not over. Just like, what is going on? And, you know, like I've had nice things to say about Georgia Tech uh, and the progress that they're making. But that that's one that it's a quick reality check that that, that you are still light years away from, from, you know, I don't think they're aspiring to be the next Clemson or anything. They're just aspiring to be like a normal college football program. And uh, Clemson just let them know that they're not even ready for that just yet. Yeah, they're, they're aspiring to be like the next Missouri. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> um Clemson has Syracuse this week I believe right and I, yes. I believe that Syracuse lost to Georgia Tech yes they, they did by or transitive me? property how many points is Clemson going to score this week uh it's a name your own score adventure for yeah. for Clemson um you know they, they might have gotten it all out last week and they might just keep this to like 50 points or something yeah. but yeah like the, their implied total is like 53 points um, I think the spread is like in, in the forties, unless that's like a misprint or something. But if that's the case, you know, playing against a, a conference foe and you, and you're 
north of five touchdowns, north of six touchdown favorites. What yeah. else? What else can you really say? Like you know, Syracuse. Um, yeah, I, I have no words of uh, encouragement for you. That's it's going to be a long day on on Saturday, but it might it might be just a quick death though. You might you might just know right away that how it's going to go. So at least there's that, and you can you can flip yeah. over to whatever else you're going to watch. Yeah, the spread for that one is at uh, 46 points. So <laughs> like I said, nearly nearly seven touchdowns uh, with extra points. Uh, conversely, uh, we we had 80 combined points in that Clemson Georgia Tech game. 73 came from Clemson. We had, <laughs> We had 19 in the Louisville-Notre Dame game. Uh, Notre Dame held on. That's what's important in a season where I think more so than ever, it's just if you want to have a chance at the playoff, just don't lose games. Um, doesn't necessarily matter how you do it. We've seen we've seen Louisville, um, you know, kind of go up and down based on the opponent all season. Yep. This was not a pretty game for Notre Dame. Not a great game for Ian Book, who barely got over 100 yards passing in this game, did only have 19 attempts. Um, a decent day on the ground for Notre Dame. That's where they made most of their hay. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, just a really, really ugly, ugly type of game that you, you really don't see too often uh, in the year 2020. No. So, yeah, defense prevailed there. Um, I, I think Ian Book was quoted after the game as saying that that was like the windiest conditions that he's ever played in. So I, I think that that definitely played a, a role. Uh, Mikhail Cunningham on, on the other side. Um, you know, completing like 16 of 19 of his passes, but like at barely seven yards per attempt, it, just the passing games just weren't really viable in this game because of the conditions. Uh, Louisville, they stood up to that Notre Dame run game a lot better. I think, you know, it helps knowing that Notre Dame's going to run the ball so you can, you know, kind of key things up that way. Um, but but even still, I thought that they they showed a lot more backbone against the run than say they did against Miami earlier in the season. So if you're going to take away a positive, I guess it's that for as far as, uh, if you're Louisville, um, if you're Notre Dame, you got to be concerned that you're still like not all that efficient on the ground again against Louisville. I know I was just giving Louisville credit, but at the same time, if you're aspiring to be a playoff team, the way that Notre Dame is, I think you got to roll a little bit harder in, in that matchup that, than they ended up doing. I thought they continue to play sloppy games against bad teams. The schedule has been very, very favorable towards Notre Dame so far. I mean, Duke, uh, South Florida, a, a Florida state team that was making a, a new uh, starter at quarterback and now Louisville, uh, exactly a murderer's row. And, and that can certainly help you in the rankings right now. But now, now we're getting uh, big 10 and PAC 12 considerations in here. You're going to start to need a little bit more in the way of style points. And I, I think this week against Pitt is not the spot for them to do it. Honestly. Are you concerned that that could be a loss? Or that just won't be that convincing of a win. They grow the grass tall at Heinz Field, just like they, they used to at Notre Dame before they switched to turf like a bunch of sellouts. Ugh, um, <laughs> so, I mean, it Pitt can muddy it up for anybody. I, I think I'll just say that. Um, we know that Pitt, um, there's another college football podcast out there that talks about the Pitt super weapon charging. Um, maybe it is, maybe it isn't for, for this game. Uh, I don't know if they're going to have Kenny Pickett, their quarterback there, but again, Pitt just kind of like operates outside of the realm of reality and, uh, they, they can occasionally pull something like this off. So it wouldn't be the most shocking thing in the world if they did knock off Notre Dame at home this week. Now can't, cannot put anything past LaRod Stevens howling you. Darn I couldn't have said it better myself. Um, oh, let's see. Let's, let's go to North Carolina, Florida state. I couldn't decide between that and, and UCF, but North Carolina, I think they, they deserve a little bit of a tongue lashing here. This is inexcusable. Yeah. I mean, excusable F Florida state. I mean, we've talked about it, man. Like they, they are uh, among those traditional, like, you know, the, the who's back bowl, like they weren't even allowed into the party for that. Like yeah. that's how, that's how far they had fallen. And now North Carolina just totally lays an egg against them. And, and FSU kind of dominates. I didn't, have eyes on that much during during Saturday night just because I was mostly uh, just subjecting myself to the torture in Tuscaloosa. But of I was still just I, I was surprised mostly that the defense let, let down. The defense had been really consistent all year um, and, and it let down a little bit against Florida State. And, and um, the, the offense, you know, had its moments. Sam Howell had some numbers and, and the running backs were still great. But um, you know, that I think North Carolina was definitely one of those teams that was artificially ranked where it was. I, I guess, weren't they like number five going into they were number game? five? Yeah. OK, so, yeah, they, they certainly are not that. I think that they're like a solid number 12 or something like that. But um, 
asking UNC to hold up a top 10 ranking over the course of the season, even with the talent that they have and the experience on defense, it was probably never, it was probably a bit of wishful thinking for, for the Tar Heel fans. Yeah. Disappointing game, especially defensively for North Carolina. Like you said, I mean, Sam Howell gives you almost 400 yards, three touchdowns, did throw a pick in this one. Uh, it wasn't overly efficient. I mean, QBR of, of 35, which, which is not, not great. Um, especially when you look over on the Florida side and, and their quarterback, Jordan Travis, eight of 19, 191 yards, touchdown and a pick. I think if you saw that, you saw that statistical line, you know, before the game and told North Carolina, that's what you're going to hold them to. You'd feel pretty good. Uh, and then Florida state still manages, you know, to, to put up 31. So very disappointing game from North Carolina. I'm with you though. I mean, that team, and again, part of it was due to some of these teams missing. They, they never really truly seemed like a top five team. See, no. it looks it looks weird to have that little number five next to UNC. It make, yeah, it makes next to no sense. All right, Memphis UCF, uh, another barn burner, fifty to forty nine in this one in favor of Memphis. Fantastic game for Brady White through the air, thirty four of fifty, four hundred eighty six yards, six touchdowns, no picks. That's a QBR of ninety three. Um, I mean, another fantastic game uh, on the other side for for Dylan Gabriel, thirty five of forty nine, six hundred one yards. Five touchdowns. That's a QBR just south of 90. Um, these are the type of games that you'd like to see uh, from from these American conference teams. I, I don't I don't need a 12 to seven game. I would rather watch a 50 to 49. Um, a really fun game, you know, from an objective perspective. But then you look at UCF. All of a sudden, UCF is two and two. Um, it it kind of starts to seem like that run that they had, you know, kind of in the middle part of this decade. You know, maybe that's something that's going to be looked at as as in the rear view going forward. Yeah, it very well may be. And if they continue to like maybe lag behind a little bit on recruit in recruiting and they're not like restocking, um, you know, the, the cupboard every single year with, with strong recruiting classes as that uh, New Year's six um, appear or as those New Year's six appearances uh, go further and further into the rear view. It's a little bit tougher sell that, that they are like the premier group of five uh, program. And they had this one kind of in the bag. I mean, they, they were killing Memphis in the, in the first half, I thought, and you know, everything was going their way. They could not be stopped. And then the defense just kind of breaks down. And this was a game where Memphis had DeMonte Coxie, like basically leave the program Saturday morning. So a guy that, you know, had been eating up like a third of their targets suddenly just like pieces out and met, and you still let Memphis hang 50 on you. Like, yeah, shame on you as well as UCF. Uh, I, I will continue to use you liberally for for dfs purposes but as far as like being a respectful program i think or a respectable program uh you're, you're teetering on the edge yeah really disappointing stuff from ucf uh the last game i want to hit kentucky tennessee tennessee is not back tennessee <laughs> no. was ranked heading into that game uh, another team they, they weren't ranked as high as unc but another team that you're just like no this does this isn't right you don't belong here uh, and that was firmly cemented by kentucky yeah, I mean, Tennessee is a team that has a good amount of talent. Jeremy Pruitt has built some decent, you know, recruiting classes there. The offensive line is legit. Uh, you love the running back combination. Even the receivers are, are pretty solid. But end of the day, Jared Garantano is just not the answer. And I don't know if if anyone else on that roster is right now. They they could turn the keys over um, to the freshman. I'm blanking on his name, but uh, he was like a pretty highly regarded quarterback. So there, there's a chance um, that if Tennessee wants to start kind of looking ahead to next year, which after a couple of losses in division might not be the worst idea, and then maybe hit the ground running next year with, with this kid um, being, you know, being relatively well-seasoned and ready to go in 2021, whatever it may be. Uh, Tennessee throws all those pick sixes and then decides to uh, fire the defensive line coach. Um, classic correlation between those two, um, mm -hmm. as it were. Um, and I think the, the, there's like a really stiff buyout for <laughs> for a defensive coordinator at Tennessee. So like, yeah, that someone tweeted out, like nobody does bad buyouts quite like Tennessee and, and uh, God bless them for, for keeping that tradition going. But um, again, on the other side of it, Kentucky can do that to teams. Like if you play sloppy, they're going to, they're going to hurt you every single time. They're extremely well coached. I love the way that Stoops has those guys rolling. Um, so Kentucky's no joke. Uh, as a Georgia guy, I'm worried about that game up, up in Lexington, uh, coming up on, on Halloween. So, I mean, yeah, Kentucky, again, 
I mean, they can hold Mike Leach to, to two points, they, so zero points, essentially. They can kill Tennessee the way that they did. Uh, Kentucky is is legit. Like They're almost like the Tennessee Titans of college football. Like mm-hmm. it, it can go sideways for them, and they definitely can't play catch-up or anything like that. But if they play their game, they can beat almost anybody. Yeah, if they're feeding the ball to Frank Wycheck, they're unstoppable. <laughs> Nobody has an answer. All no, right, where sir. do you want to start? Where do you want to start for week eight? I've, I would like to hear your take on this Illinois-Wisconsin game because, like you said, this spread has shrunk four points, I think, last, uh, on this podcast. So is that respect to Illinois? Is that is that enough people just being like, Wisconsin, We don't. there are too many unknowns about like their, their firepower with no Jonathan Taylor and no Jack yeah. Cohn. Uh, so what – what do we make about that? And what's your expectation for that game? Well, so I think it opened at 23 and a half, if I remember correctly. And I'm guessing that that was just one where, you know, Mr. Oddsmaker in Vegas is just kind of going through and you see Illinois, Wisconsin, you're just like, oh yeah, just plug in 23 and a half, whatever. Forgetting that Illinois won that game last year. It was at Illinois. You know, it was an Illinois team that, that had some pieces, um, you know, that are, that are probably better than what they have this year. But that was also a Wisconsin team that had Jonathan Taylor, that had a healthy Jack Cohn, that had more talent on defense, that had, you know, uh, two better receivers. You know, they have Dan- Danny Davis and Kendrick Pryor, but I think they had like arguably the best Wisconsin receiving core ever last year, which isn't saying a whole lot, but uh, it's saying something. I, I, so I think there's there's more attrition on the Wisconsin side than people realize. And I also think there's more unknowns on the Wisconsin side. Like Graham Mertz, we talked about this last week, like the recruiting pedigree is there, but that doesn't guarantee anything. And I'm optimistic, but we, we really have never seen him play in anything resembling a high leverage situation at the college level. Um, you know, by all indications, he, he was fine last year, you know, in practice getting those reps, but never to the point where, you know, he seriously challenged Jack Cohn for that job. Like a lot of people thought he would coming into the year uh, and credit to Jack Cohn for playing well enough that it was never in question. So, I mean, dropping this, dropping the spread four points, making it 19 and a half, you know, doesn't seem like that big of a deal. It would be a much bigger deal if they were opening with, say, Minnesota or Michigan or even a, a team like Nebraska that has a little bit more talent. So I, I'm not necessarily worried about Wisconsin losing this game, but I don't think it's going to be like last year. I think they opened at South Florida last year, if I remember correctly, and yep, just rolled Friday over night. them. And, and that was a team that also had a lot of question marks, and they just rolled. And it was it set the tone for the rest of that season. I I, I think Wisconsin wins. I, I think it's going to be a little bit ugly. I, I think they have four or five guys who they might want to get some work in this backfield. That's not always a recipe for success. Um, I, just, I just don't see Wisconsin, you know, coming out and just like bowling over Illinois like like it normally would. No, I, I don't think so either. Lost a couple guys to the NFL on the offensive line as well, if I remember correctly. So, I mean, there, there's just too many, like, moving pieces right now and, and unknowns to trust Wisconsin with, with that kind of number. So, I would be shocked if Illinois came in here and, and pulled the upset, of course. Uh, I just think that, um, you know, like, like you said, that this might not be, uh, like, the electric steamroller type of uh, opening to the season that, that um, you know, we, we saw a year ago with this Wisconsin team. And you're putting Mertz in a tough spot, making his first start. It's supposed to be probably by kickoff. It's going to be like 40 degrees and probably rainy. Yeah, it is miserable up in in Wisconsin right now. This is the last week has just been the definition of dreary. It's been raining for like 40 hours in a row here in Milwaukee. And I don't think that's going to let up anytime soon. So, I mean, I I think these people who have these these delusions of Wisconsin all of a sudden becoming like Alabama, where you can you can run for 250 yards. And then you have Tua come in and you can also throw for 400 yards when he needs to. Like, I, I don't think that's going to happen short or long term. It's, it's certainly not going to happen tomorrow night. No, it's it's going to be gross out. So, yeah, I think we're going to see a lot of just like three yards in a cloud of dust type of offense from, from both sides. But Wisconsin will end up taking it. I think given the conditions, three yards in a puddle of mud, I think it's a little more appropriate. Can you take it all away? <laughs> NC State, North Carolina, one of our, I believe we have three ranked versus ranked matchups this week. Uh, none as high profile, but still a couple good ones. North Carolina, you know, we just got done chastising them. Obviously, they need to bounce back. NC State comes in four and one. This game is at North Carolina. Uh, spread is 15 and a half, which to me is, is a little bit big considering what we just saw from North Carolina and, you know, a team that's been relatively shaky even before that. Right. So, yeah, we, we only really saw UNC get it rolling offensively uh, Virginia Tech a couple of weeks ago uh, with NC State. 
I, I think that they've probably earned that rent, that number 23 ranking. That's about where they should be. Um, but I do think that they um, had a quarterback injury to Devin Leary. I think he broke his fibula. So he's going to be out for a while. So it's not like Leary came into the year with a stronghold on the job. So they've gotten other guys with game action. Uh, I think Bailey Hockman uh, is one of them. So they, they're, that I think explains the line, but I think it also, you know, there, there's reason to believe that UN or I'm sorry, that NC State can keep this relatively close. I think if, if UNC plays their game, uh, then they should be able to take care of business here. I think that you you've got two just ridiculous running backs in Javante Williams and um, and Michael Carter. I think both of those guys, uh, if Howell's off, you can just ride those guys, and I think that they should be able to take care of business against uh, NC State's defense. I don't think NC State's defense is all that special. The offense had been clicking under Devin Leary. It hasn't under Bailey Hockman in the past, so I think that this is going to be a relatively low-scoring game. If, uh, if NC State tries to establish the run on UNC, I think that's where UNC can kind of like you know stiffen up and, and answer them and uh, force them to throw the ball outside. I don't think they really have those guys other than Emeka Mezier, maybe Carrie Angeline, uh, the tight end. But um, in the end, uh, UNC, I agree that they should be about two touchdown favorites in this one. They, they should be able to take care of business. What is your read on number 17, Iowa State, at now number six, Oklahoma State? <laughs> I can't believe I'm going to say this, but like, you know, like in most years, this is like the game that you like base your DFS weekend off of. Like, and it's like, okay, we got Chuba and Brees Hall. How do I fit right. them into a lineup? Um, how do I get Tylen Wallace involved and Spencer Sanders? I think Spencer Sanders might be, might be back this week finally. So that'll be good. But I think the defense's rule here. I think that OK State brought a ton back on defense this year, and they've been solid on that side of the ball. I can't believe I'm saying that. And then Iowa State is tough on that side of the ball as well. So I think that this ends up being a relatively low-scoring game. Uh, kind of amazing when you when you look at like the the matchup here. Oklahoma State, you know, just expected to score like 27 points in this one, and they're, and they're three three and a half point favorites. So I mean, an over under at less than 60 for for a game like this is pretty shocking but i think it's you know it's real i mean 51 and a half is the um i'm sorry is the total and i'm buying it man like it's going to be a defensive slugfest by big 12 standards oddly enough yeah very strange to to see both of these teams especially oklahoma state uh, right. in this position um let's go to bama tennessee real quickly uh well, what's your pick for this one who you got <laughs> <laughs> straight up i think alabama might have them um, I, like, I like alabama only 21 and a half is the line that feels a little conservative to me that that seems to imply that like they think that alabama is gonna kind of like take their foot off the gas you know coming off the the big win over over the third ranked team you know like they, they might play not as uh as buttoned up football as as we're used to seeing so that implies some of that um as for the spread I think Tennessee just they're going to continue to make mistakes. I think they're a tough team and I think that they have some things going for them. But the second that they're in catch up mode, which they're going to be against Alabama pretty quickly, um, I think it's going to fall apart on on them. And, and uh, this will get ugly and we will continue to see Alabama continue to dominate uh, this side of the rivalry, just like they have since the days of the, uh, the famous Mount Cody uh, blocked field goal like over 10 years ago. That was early saving years, right? Yeah, I think that 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 I think is considered like one of the games that kind of started to vault Alabama into like, OK, like that this is the sleeping giant has awakened. The game of the weekend, Michigan at Minnesota. This is at TCF Bank Stadium in Minneapolis. Conditions are even worse in Minneapolis than they are in our neck of the woods. John projected weather for that game. Thirty three degrees and rain. Uh, obviously, you're running, running the risk of snow if that drops down. Uh, another degree or two. Uh, this is the ABC 6:30 game. Um, I, all eyes are going to be on this one. You know, all the other appealing games, uh, in my opinion, at least, are are earlier in the day. That's going up against like Cincinnati SMU, which is another ranked versus ranked. And you know, on the aggregate, both of those teams are ranked higher than Michigan and Minnesota. But this is where I, my eyes are going to be on Saturday night. This is a a massive game for both programs for for much different reasons. You know, we, we've talked a lot about Michigan on this podcast in the past. This is one of those, like, you better not lose this game for Michigan. And for Minnesota, yeah, you can lose it. You're Minnesota. There's not a lot of expectations, but this is a, a real statement game and a statement opportunity for them 
in week one of their season, especially to to really demonstrate that, you know, everything, all the progress that they've made over the last two seasons and especially last year wasn't just some sort of mirage. Exactly, exactly. Because they do have to fight that off because, you know, go ahead if they slip this year that, you know, that it's just PJ Flick, like the getting it going for a couple of years, but, but can't sustain it, that, that sort of thing. Um, you know, he, maybe he's looking somewhere else already. So coming out here and, and winning is a, is absolutely crucial for, for this Minnesota team um, to prove that the last year wasn't a fluke. Cause I mean, people weren't buying it until what were they like nine and oh, like 10 and oh or something before well, I think uh, that they beat, was it Penn state they beat? Yeah, that was they, the one that finally sealed it. And then, of course, they immediately lost to Wisconsin. But yeah, I think that the Penn State game at home was the one that really kind of grabbed people's attention. Yep, that was game day. And like, the, you know, so they were cruising along undefeated. But it's like, who have they played that? Well, it's like, OK, they haven't played anybody, but they're killing everybody. Um, so eventually they end up beating Penn State. They, yeah, they lost to Iowa, I think, the, the following week, too. And, and then fi- finished it out with that with a pretty uh you know, bullying performance from Wisconsin against them. So that, that was fun. Um, but in the end, my expectations of this game, there's a lot of unknowns on Michigan's side because they didn't just lose Shea Patterson. Not like that's a huge thing, but I mean, at the same time, uh, Dylan McCaffrey at the program. So, um, you know, they're, they're turning it over to Joe Milton, who's a pretty unproven quarterback. Uh, he got some mobility to him. So, uh, you know, maybe, maybe it, elicits visions of Denard Robinson days or, or that sort of thing. But we'll, right. we'll have to see. Ex-Jaguars um, running back, Denard uh, Robinson. That's right. Uh, shoelaces, right? And then um, yep. uh, what else? Uh, Tariq Black is gone. He plays for Texas now. Donovan Peoples-Jones is gone. So a really green uh, group of receivers, and none of them particularly like highly touted as far as recruiting is concerned. Certainly not to the level that, that Tariq Black or, or DPJ were. So mm-hmm. it's going to be Ronnie Bell. Um, it's going to be Zach Charbonnet and and uh, um, uh, Hassan Haskins as the running backs. I think that they're going to be really important to this game because of the conditions and just trying to keep Milton, you know, under 25 passes or something like that if you're Michigan. Um, but either way, uh, God, what an annoying matchup of coaches, huh? Yeah, seriously. No Nico Collins either for Michigan. Right. Uh, yep. Although if, if there's a story on him earlier this week, if you read that, like Harbaugh is leaving the door open for him to come back. I have no idea. What I'm the sure rules he are. is. Why wouldn't I have no you? idea what the rules are on that? He like Collins is. I'm preparing for the draft. I'm absolutely out. It, it pains me to watch them play, but I'm out. And then there's like the next paragraph. It's like Harbaugh saying, well, he's not with us right now, but we'd welcome him back. It's like, <laughs> buddy, he's not coming back. He's not coming back. I know she just left the bar with him, but like <laughs> she'll be back. <laughs> my, my door's open. She's got a key. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I think I think this is a really tough spot for Michigan, honestly. I mean, it, it would be a little different, I guess, if you're playing at Michigan, even with no fans. Um, you know, there's still the element of going on the road, being uncomfortable. I mean, this is, you know, I, what was it? Two, three weeks ago, we talked about like, where, where is Harbaugh? Where is Michigan and all this? It's, it's just kind of this muddled mess. I, I really think this has a chance to like light his seat as hot as it's been. You know, if they lose this game convincingly, I just, I, I it kind of sinks your season right away. And then all of a sudden 2020 is just a lost year from the start. And you know, Michigan's had a lot of lost years, but usually they wait until at least like midseason or late in the year for the Ohio mm-hmm. State game to make it official. And if they lose this game, it's just I think it's going to start like a eight week long dialogue on the Harbaugh situation. Yeah, because, again, you know, like next year is the final year of his contract. And, and like, as Pete Tamil said, like you either get fired or you get extended. Like nobody coaches into the last year of their contract anymore. And, you know, if you start things off in what kind of then functions as your contract year with a loss on the road to a, a team that's ranked lower than you, uh, even though they are ranked, it, it's still, you know, Michigan holds itself to expectations. They never seem to get there anymore. But like at a certain point, it's like, man, like, it, is it ever going to happen on, under Harbaugh? And like, I think that this would be a very sobering way to start the season if they come out and they don't uh, get the win Saturday in, in Minnesota. Tell you what, though, it's, it's got to be nice. I mean, you're you're a Georgia fan, so this you're in this category, but it's got to be nice to be a school that's won a national title in the last 50 years. Like the amount of gravitas that that gives you, it, it's it's like Michigan's done nothing for 20 years. It just doesn't matter at all. And if they fire Harbaugh, it's going to be a huge story. Whoever they hire is going to have huge expectations. Like it's what a place to be. 
if it's if it's been more than like 10 or 15 years though the the message boards come back out for you the message though. boards I, do but in general i mean like my all these teams that we're talking about miami's in the same spot like that job if it opens up is still as almost as high profile as it would have been in 2003 you know it's just it never wears off it's crazy yeah, that's a that's a good point. Uh, a lot a lot of people like like to uh, bring up 1980 for you know just to fit fit Georgia things in there. Yeah. Well, oh, that's well. what it is. Yeah. Um, a few ranked on unranked or or completely unranked matchups to look at uh, before we we close on on that Cincy SMU game that we mentioned. We got TCU at Oklahoma. We got South Carolina at LSU this week. LSU very badly needs a win. Boy, do they. Uh, do you see those Ed Orgeron pictures? Uh, I mean, I, I look at a lot of Coach O pictures. You have to be a lot more specific. Okay, there, there were a couple that, that surfaced yesterday while they got smacked with it with some sanctions from the NCAA. You know, some of them stemming from OBJ's, uh, you know, handing out not Monopoly money, it turns out, um, after the after the national title game. Who, who could have thought that? Um Again, LSU probably doesn't really care in the long run. They they st- they'll have last season to bask on forever. Um, but as far as like this year goes, I mean, Miles Brennan banged up still. We talked about him last week. He probably wasn't going to be able to play um, even if LSU Florida was still on. Um, it looks like he's still doubtful. I, I think Orgeron said on Wednesday's SEC teleconference that um, yeah, he, he doesn't expect him to go. So it's it's going to be one of the two freshmen. Um, I think it's going to be Max Johnson, but we'll see. He's he's the more highly touted of those recruits between the two. Yeah, LSU really like this season could go extremely sideways. And, and you know, th- there was some comparison on like the Feinbaum show not too long ago, like a, like a week, week and a half ago, about is Coach O just like cajun gene chizik and like he 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 wins the title off of having like a just generational year like a type of year or type of season from one guy that you only see once a decade if that in, in the way that chizik benefited from cam newton then the once that season passed those next two years for auburn were abysmal mm-hmm. and lsu season is trending towards abysmal and i don't know if it, i would quite say that that Coach O is just Gene Chizik, but I mean, like, you got to have some coaching chops at, at a certain point. And you know, we're we're at a situation now where, with no Joe Brady, no Dave Aranda, um, you need superstar coordinators to support a guy like Coach O. I think, and and he doesn't have them right now. I think Bo Pelini continues to get them into trouble. He let 40 points up to Missouri. Um, not very adaptive in his scheme, so that doesn't seem like it's going to work out. That'll be a one and done. Um, but I think I don't think again, Orgeron's seat is hot whatsoever right now. But um, this is this has the chance to um, be a very bad season for LSU. And I think like come next year, if they if they don't get the recruit uh, coordinator hires right after I assume they get rid of Pelini and and maybe uh, whatever's up on the offensive side of the ball, um, then maybe that discourse starts to creep in starting next year. Yeah, I don't think that's totally wrong. I mean. It, he's always conducted himself as more of like the figurehead type of coach. Right. I mean, he's never, I don't think he's ever purported to be like the master strategist or anything no. like that. And I think being the figurehead works really well when you have strategists on your staff and when you have superior talent or at least talent that matches the other elite programs. But I don't know that he's the type of like floor raising coach. You know, I think when the pieces are there, he's great. He kind of in the NBA of like a Phil Jackson, you know, and obviously Phil Jackson is so much more accomplished, but Phil Jackson got to a point like basically after coaching the Bulls where it was like, I'm only coaching a team that's going to win the title. Like mm-hmm. you, you would never hire Phil Jackson to coach the Charlotte Hornets, you know, or manage the, the New York Knicks, for example, going through a rebuild. You know, like <laughs> I, I think Coach O, you know, I, it's not a perfect comparison by any means, but I think he he operates very well when when things around him are going well and, and you kind of need somebody to steer the ship. But when you need someone to, to do all the little dirty work that goes into a program, you know, maybe not quite as forte. Yeah, I I don't think so. So I mean, and I had a very uh, low opinion on, on Coach O as as a coach going into last year. So I I mean that's what made like last year such like a gigantic eating of my own words as far as far as he goes because again we saw what it what a program can look like under him uh, when everything is going right. Like those guys uh, were absolutely going to war for him every single Saturday and crushing every single buddy that they faced. Um, but 
when things aren't going as well. I mean, we've seen some some lean ish underperformed years from LSU under Coach O before that. So mm. is this a return to the norm? And was last year a fluke? I guess start, starts to become a little bit of a question. All right, let's take a look at the DFS slate for this weekend. Uh, we'll start off. You got games, teams you're targeting overall before we get into the nuts and bolts at each spot. Yeah, so th- this is a really fun slate. It's it's 12 games. Um, knock on wood, none of them are going to be postponed the way that uh, we, we've had that go the last couple of weeks here. But um, yeah, th- there's a lot of ways to go about it. Clemson kind of leads the pack. I mean, again, their expected score over 50. Um, it's going to be hard to go away from them. Uh, obviously, you know, my concerns about Trevor Lawrence every single week, it's like, oh, what, you know, what if he gets pulled at halftime? Well, it's like, well, what if he throws for 400 yards in one half? You know, you freaking idiot. Um, so uh, he could certainly do that again against Clemson. Like that, that's definitely not out of the question. And, and you know, I think I need to put some more respect on like Amari Rogers' name. I, I think that he's doing a lot better than I would have expected, even uh, even with Justin Ross being out for the season. So Clemson. Uh, hard to stay away from them. It's just an, an expensive proposition. Like, how do you build out the rest of your lineup? Alabama, same way. Although Mac Jones is kind of a bargain re- relative. You know, it, I think he's like 8,300 or something mm-hmm. like that. So that that's definitely not bad. Um, I think it's just one of those weeks where, like, you try to get as much Bama and Clemson exposure as you can and then see where those values are elsewhere. Um, Jalen Waddell at 7,700, I think, is a totally reasonable price. He's 700 less than Devontae Smith, so I'm going to be chasing that, for example. So th- those are, like, the two teams that really tee it off. Uh, Virginia Tech's offense is rolling right now. Khalil Herbert, um, Hennon Hooker, both those guys are killing it right now. UNC has a high implied total. Auburn has been gross and bad and terrible for for most of the season like should have lost to Arkansas I guess they did they did lose to South Carolina if I remember correctly last week but there's some pieces on that offense that we'll get to that that might be worth considering and then uh, once again fading off that Oklahoma State Iowa State game and I'm a little bit morbidly curious about this Louisville Florida State game I think that that one has some sneaky potential I might throw a game stack of that one go against the grain of the field I'm not saying it's going to work out quite as well as Virginia Tech UNC did the other week but uh, another one with that kind of powder keg potential all right, let's get into the quarterbacks. As you mentioned, you get Mac Jones at a little bit of a bargain relative to the other elites. He's at 83. You have Sam Ellinger leading the way at 9,900. Trevor Lawrence, 95. Hendon Hooker at Virginia Tech, 87. And then Spencer Rattler at Oklahoma uh, going up against TCU. He's at 8,500. What's the case for Ellinger You know, going up against the Baylor team that by the time this game kicks off, it will have been three full weeks since they played a, a competitive football game? Right. So, yeah, Baylor's been one of those programs that that has had a tough time getting their season on the rails because of the the covid issues. Um, Again, three weeks now um, and they're going up against a Texas team that had a full week to to lick its wounds after the Oklahoma um, debacle, the the four overtime game. So Texas, like, you know, there are seasons on the brink of absolute disaster and they need this. So I think that Sam Howell or Sam Ellinger is game for it. It's just a matter of like, can you make a lineup that you like this week spending almost 10 K on your quarterback? So I, I like Ellinger. He's probably like my highest projected quarterback uh, for this week, other than like Zach Wilson, or at least for this slate. So other than Zach Wilson and uh, Justin Fields, um, it's just a matter of, can you make a lineup that you like with, with him? So, so I'm throwing that out there. Um, Trevor Lawrence, again, you know what he can do. I'm not introducing any new ideas about him by saying that, you know, that he can put up 400 yards and a half and, and you're, you're happy with it. Um, I'm not counting on that happening two weeks in a row. Um, I want a little bit more maybe rushing potential for my quarterback this week. So um, I might go more towards like a hen and hooker this week as far as those uh, expensive quarterbacks go. I think that's going to be a very up-tempo game. Not a lot of defense being played on on either side. So I think we're going to see points on both sides. And I think that Hooker, um, maybe not the most uh, um, efficient passer or highest volume passer, but um, he does have some weapons there in the passing game to to juice his numbers. And I think that he has that chance to run 15, 16 times. And if he does, um, I think that he has a legitimate chance at going over 100 yards on that type of workload. So I like him a lot. Sam Howell against NC State. We talked about him a little bit. And then um, I guess my value quarterback of the week is probably Terry Wilson um, of Kentucky. He's checking in at 6K. Missouri's defense 
still finding its way. Um, they let in a lot of points to an LSU offense that might not actually be all that good, all, thing, all things considered. So I think that Terry Wilson should have some success here. You're not banking on the 300 yards from him, but I think that he can um, do some serious damage with his legs to, to hit that value at, at 6K. So uh, as a super flex option, you could definitely do worse. All right. At the running back position, Najee Harris uh, didn't quite go for 205 touchdowns against Georgia, uh, but another formidable effort from him, 150 and a score. In that one, he leads the way by a pretty good margin, too, at 9,700. Then you go down to Brees Hall at 9,000 in that Iowa State, OK State defensive battle. Khalil Herbert at 8,800. Travis Etienne at 8,200. And then Javante Williams at North Carolina rounds out the top five. He is at 7,800. Uh, who's your favorite play overall, whether it's from that group or, or anyone on this slate? Um, so it's probably Khalil Herbert. I, I'm I'm interested in potentially doing a lot. Usually you don't do a quarterback and a running back in a lineup. But I think that like those two could really account for um, well over 200 yards on the ground between the two of them and several touchdowns on the ground. Uh, Herbert. um it's hard, it's hard to really understate how good he's been thus far this season. He's been absolutely ridiculous. I think one of the bigger surprises in college football. Um, so he's been absolutely dominant on the ground uh, for a Virginia Tech team that, that, you know, hasn't had a dominant running back in a little while. So it's been fun to watch him. And, you know, he just transferred from Kansas and, and is killing it like this. 8,800. Uh, Wake Forest gives up almost five yards a carry. I think he's going to see the workload. I think it's all going to click for him at 8,800. So when you look at guys like Najee Harris and Brees Hall um, having potentially tougher matchups that, than Herbert has, I go Herbert pretty much exclusively. Um, I might get some Brees Hall. I'm not going to chase uh, Najee Harris at 9,700. Uh, that that might burn me, of course. But I, I think the Tennessee's defense does a little bit more backbone than Ole Miss's. So I think that it'll look a little bit more like last week's game for, for Najee Harris, maybe a little bit more production, but certainly more like that one than the five touchdown one against Ole Miss. Um, I love Tank Bigsby this week. And I was just talking about Auburn. Um, that's a guy who really is coming into his own. Gus Malzahn has been like really gushing of, of his praise of him. Uh, this Auburn offense has been weird under Chad Morris, but at least Bigsby's really making it work. Um, two games in a row with at least a hundred yards. Um, he's at at least 16 carries in each of those games. Mississippi coughs up 6.1 yards per carry. So this sets My up goodness. extremely well for, for Tank Bigsby. What do you do uh, in the absence of Puka now? Is, is there something to exploit, at least for a week here, before the prices change? So there's a there's a guy named Tory Lachlan. I'm still like kind of doing my research on him. But, you know, he's a guy... Um, who had pretty explosive production in high school. I think he might have been a quarter quarterback that like threw for 2,500 and ran for 2,500 in a season or something crazy like that. So he's got some athleticism, got some ability. Kansas is just running out of healthy bodies. So and this is a less miles guy. So I think with that in mind, we might see some some work from Lachlan one way or the other, either in the backfield or maybe taking some snaps behind center. Um Obviously, these type of guys carry a ton of risk um, and building your lineup or around the premise of a 3K guy, at least giving you six points can be a little bit dicey when, you know, this guy literally has zero fancy points per game uh, thus far. So it's risky. But I think that if, if you're swimming in the min min priced end of the pool, you can squint hard enough. And I, th I think talk yourself into Lachlan. I, I would advise doing a little bit more research. I'm, I'm sure I'll touch on him in my DraftKings column. But, um, you know, he's someone to, to consider. And then uh, Deuce Vaughn, the, the running back for K-State on the other side. I mean, Kansas just can't stop anybody. I mean, we, we saw it last week with Letty Brown. We love that Letty Brown play and it, it turned out beautifully. Uh, I think Deuce Vaughn could, could do similarly, and I think that he's even like more dangerous as a pass catcher. So uh, that, that's the way I'm seeing it as far as the running backs go. All right, at receiver, Devontae Smith, as you mentioned earlier in the pod, number one uh, in the rankings there. He's at 8,400. Elijah Moore at Ole Miss at 8,100. Jalen Waddell, Devontae Smith's teammate, is at 77. You got Tylen Wallace at 73. And Kenny Yaboa, uh, also at Ole Miss, going up against Auburn at 7,100. I have a feeling you like somebody who's a little bit further down the board, though. Yeah, I think that this might be 2-2 Atwell time. Uh, again, uh, I, I'm 
I'm very much in on this Florida State Louisville game, maybe having some being like the sneakiest game on the board um, at well, you know, again, the passing conditions weren't great in South Bend last week. That shouldn't be the case this time around, hopefully. So I think the passing game gets a little bit more involved here. Um, Atwell really kind of owns the market share as far as like the Louisiana or the Louisville pass catchers go. So if Cunningham's dropping back, it's probably going to him. And, you know, he's a guy that averaged like well over 10 yards per target last year. The efficiency ha- or the explosiveness hasn't been there quite the same this year. I think that that corrects sooner rather than later. And I think that it starts Saturday um, against this Florida State team. And, and another guy I like um, as far as like, explosive production is concerned that also has been getting a, an awesome amount of volume. And I've always wondered if, if he would be able to handle it. It's Anthony Schwartz. You know, he came to Auburn as like a track guy, uh, one of like the fastest people in America, um, not, not just football players <laughs> alongside you and I. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So you, you know how it is. You, you respect that kind of speed mm-hmm. and uh, you know, we're used to seeing it at Wisconsin. You don't see it at Auburn so much. Come on. That was so uncalled for. It was, it was. Um, <laughs> but he he's seen over 10 targets in each of the last couple of weeks. Um, just crazy speed. Again, this Ole Miss defense is one to pick on. So I, I think that Schwartz is a really nice call. Um, and then the UNC guys, again, if you're picking up what I'm putting down as far as UNC's offense, getting it going against NC State, then Deami Brown at 6,200 and Daz Newsome all the way down to 4,300 now. He had seven targets in each of his last two games. I think that eventually it has to work for him. I mean, it's so far off the baseline that he set last year. I mean, unless it was a complete fluke from him last year, which, you know, each game, each passing game that he stinks is a possibility. But going against NC State, I, I think that this is this is the get right spot for him. And, and again, forty three hundred like that's a serious um, way to help, uh, like, save some coin, if you, especially with how many like legit high price options there are on this board. You're going to need some guys around there. And I think that he's clearly the most talented of them so uh, i'll i'll keep buying on daz newsom probably until the season ends all right so george is off this weekend uh where are your eyes going to be primarily oh and the ravens are off too so like i have this oh like re- really weird relaxing weekend coming up but i don't really know what to do with myself get, get out to the bahamas or something yeah I'm, like i might not even watch 20 hours of football between saturday and sunday like what you know i might go do some, i might go visit the alpacas yeah um, yeah, it's, it's a been a while. Idea. Yeah, go go see them, you know, check out, you know, make sure that they're being socially distant um, and, and all that good stuff. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it should be a chill weekend. Again, uh, the, I think you have it right. That Michigan-Minnesota uh, game on Saturday night should be fun. And then um, I'm sure I'll, I'll just kind of, like, plop down late Saturday night and, and catch some crazy Mountain West action, mm-hmm. too. So that'll be fun for all the uh, night owls out there. All right, so I'll leave you with this, um, and this I'm so glad we we had video so I can show you this. So my you know friend of the program, my, my girlfriend Molly, who you know, uh, recently moved into a new home in the Milwaukee area, and the previous homeowners just like didn't clean out a lot of things. It was a kind of a slop job. I'll say it. I don't know if they're listening, but if you are, what the hell? <laughs> it was not cool. Like it was so. There's so many things that were just sloppily done. Not nothing that Molly could have done, but you know they just left things sloppy and That's they good. left a bunch of things in one of the cabinets in the kitchen, including a bottle of Neuro Peak. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Greatness by nature. It's by uh, Zoo Brand, Z-H-O-U. Their company slogan is hashtag HowZoo. So I have not taken one of these. Um, I'm kind of scared to take one. All the ingredients listed have like at least 15 letters in each word. So that's how you know um, it's good. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know. I feel like at some point, maybe before next week's podcast, I'll pop one. And we'll just, you know, I think you'll probably be able to tell the difference right away, I would think. I think so, too. And, yeah, definitely before the end of the season, we got to have, like, one Neuro Peak episode where we're both just, like... <laughs> we're both peaking? We're, we're both peaking, yeah, <laughs> as, as, we're, as we're doing the show. That's, that's tremendous. What a find. It says, take one capsule daily, preferably with a meal. So maybe I could take one and then eat a full meal during the podcast. That's the, <laughs> I think that's the only way to go about it. Eat a beef bouillon. <laughs> Just a microwave burrito and just kind of jam it in there. <laughs> That's tremendous. Also, randomly, one last thing. Um, when I was in Iowa the other week, remember that viral like chip thing from from a couple years ago, like the the pocky hot chip that like comes in like a cardboard coffin. Oh yeah. 
I have one now, and I don't know what to do with it. But let, let's uh, let's brainstorm on, on. Maybe we'll take some NeuroPeak, and we can figure out what to do with it with the with the hot chip. So how does this correlate to you being in Iowa? Did you acquired it in Iowa? Yeah, like they just like had them like on the on the like I don't think Wisconsin allows them or something, but Iowa they're like it, they have like a full aisle of them. It was at the high V. It was crazy. And these are supposed to be like super super hot. Yeah, like ruin your day or yeah, your week right. type of hot. Yeah, so the the. I just like have one sitting there. It's like my telltale heart. I just, I, I need to do something with it. I just don't know what yet. I am not a hot sauce person or a hot food guy at all. With that said, for the sake of the podcast, I'm happy to absolutely happy to eat that and, and see how it goes. <laughs> all right. We'll, we'll figure it out. We'll take some neuro peak and we'll figure it out. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.